Are you thinking about starting your own cash practice? Maybe you've already started your own practice and you're starting to realize that there's a lot to learn when it comes to business. We can be great clinicians, but if we don't understand the business side of having our own practice, we're going to have a hard time being successful in business. Guys, I wrote a book for you and I took everything that I've learned over the last five years of running successful cash practice here in Atlanta. And I put it in this book and I gave you everything that you need to be able to start and scale that practice past yourself. That book is called Fuck Insurance. And if you don't like the title, the book is not for you. If you do like the title, it's the exact book that you need to be reading right now. I show you exactly how to start. I show you what's important when it comes to marketing, when it comes to sales, when it comes to operations, and what stage you're actually at in the business. You know, where you're at, what you need to focus on while you're there, and how to get to the next stage. I'm trying to set it up in a way where you can get some clarity in your business. And the book for now is 100% free. All you have to do is go to finsurancebook.com. That's finsurancebook.com and get your free copy of the book that I wrote specifically to help you be successful in business. The book is free. All you got to do is pay for it to get to your door so that I don't lose my shirt on giving everybody all these books and sending them around the world. And again, head to finsurancebook.com. Learn how to run a successful cash practice today. So here's the question. How do physical therapists like us who don't want to see 30 patients a day, who don't want to work home health and have real student loans create a career and life for ourselves that we've always dreamed about? This is the question and this podcast is the answer. My name is Danny Matei and welcome to the PT Entrepreneur Podcast. What's up, guys? Doc Danny here with the PT Entrepreneur Podcast. And uh, today we get to talk to one of my business partners, Jared Moon, about how to kill comfort. I, uh, I, I think we can talk a little bit about what that means, uh, but recently wrote a book called Killing Comfort, all about how to improve your mental resiliency, how to really challenge yourself uh, physically, mentally, um, and sharpen yourself for the challenges that come in life. I mean, I think, it, I think it's a really good book, um, you know, easy to read, really well researched. I like a lot of the, um, uh, the stories you have in there. Uh, even looking at some of the things like, uh, I just, I, I'm kind of fascinated with wolves. Um, and I find them really interesting. Did you see like the, I think it's like wolf 21 or something like that just recently died. There was like this, uh, like the most impressive wolf leader ever out in, I think it was Yosemite. Uh, are you familiar with that story? No, I did not know wolf so, number 21 died. <laughs> apparently. Uh, yeah, I saw this. Apparently, uh, he was the, uh, they, they say he's like the greatest wolf leader ever. He had like the biggest pack. Uh, and, uh, he basically was like, an orphan, I guess, like hunters killed his parents, both his parents. And he basically like combined multiple packs together. And uh, it's really, it's really interesting because they, they tag them and they study them there as they're reintroducing them. So anyway, I just, I find it interesting. And what you talked about them was, was great as well as a lot of the other stories and like actionable things to really start working on improving, you know, your resiliency. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, before we get into that, um, and most people probably know, you know, who you are, but if you get a quick, like summary who you are, you know, uh, what, what you do with us now in particular PT Bez, and then, um, about your book why did you write this book? Yeah. So name's Jared moon and, uh, I own a company called into three fitness and we do daily programming for garage and athlete. And we teach coaches how to program. That's really what we do there. Uh, my background really isn't in, in fitness. Um, you know, I, I mean, I've been into fitness since I was 14 years old, but I, you know, went to school. I wanted to be a fighter pilot, went through that whole process, uh, got injured in the process of flying that. And that's all in the book, you know, got that whole dream kind of ended. And I wanted to really pursue fitness as a, you know, as an entrepreneur and, and build my own business. And luckily I had a lot of good mentors along the way that helped me build a business and, and make some good decisions. Um, and then here in PT biz, you know, uh, you and I linked up and, uh, been working together for a while now. My role is really, uh, a little bit of everything at the moment, you know, coaching uh, people with digital business, uh, marketing and, and operations is a lot of what I'm doing here at PT Biz. And why I wrote the book, uh, you know, I, I've talked to thousands and thousands of, of athletes. And in fact, when I started Garage Gym Athlete, I did a 15 minute phone call with every single person who signed up, up until the first, I got past a thousand calls and I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm good. Like yeah. I can't even, I can't even like do the, like handle the, the bandwidth anymore. Um, but I just realized what the biggest missing hole was like, I'm, I'm obsessed with programming and make sure people have good, 
good program. I don't know why I am that way. People always ask that, but I don't really know why I care so much about programming specifically. But what I learned is just uh, mentally, you know, people are off. There's always a, there's always a struggle there. There's something uh, that that is going to fight people and beat them down, and, and overcoming those is going to be the biggest hurdle into really sticking with any new habit. And I've just picked up a lot of stuff in this process of helping people step by step become better and be different and stick to things and get a little bit more uh, tough mentally. And so that's why I wrote the book is really just trying to help people, you know, fill one of the biggest holes I've seen in just working with human beings. Yeah. And, and even the, yeah, the, the very first paragraph of the book, when you, you, know, you kind of bring up your story of how you got hurt flying and like, I mean, that's a, that's a intense thing, man. I mean, like to go through that much training, to go through that much prep, uh, sacrifice for a long time to be able to do something that, you, you know, you think you're going to do for significantly longer than you ended up, uh, doing it. And, uh, you know, to be able to deal with the, the mental, uh, side of, of an injury like that, like we see this in sport constantly, we see this with people, they get hurt and then, you know, their, their career ends where they, they have a really difficult rehab process. Um, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that, you know, you learned a lot of that yourself, you know, and as you went through that, you know, do you look back and really think like, man, these things I really learned during this time that have been really helpful for me, you know, kind of going through a, a negative experience and turning that into something that's been really positive for you. Yeah. And it's, it's weird going through it. I was never, I was never that like, uh, I mean, I was upset, you know, definitely. I mean, I wanted to be a fighter pilot since I was like in kindergarten and started working towards that and, and got to that point, you know? So when it all was taken away, um, I just, I had to move on. Like, and I knew it, I knew like, and pe people in pilot, uh, you know, in the pilot world were even asking me, they're like, they saw that I was immediately like, okay, that's over on to the, onto the next thing. And they're like, dude, like you have an excuse to at least, you know, drink yourself silly for like a week or two or maybe a month. And I was like, what good's that going to do? Like, I got to move on. Like I got to start building a new life, like a new dream. And that's, that's what I have to go do now. And it's going to be a lot of work. And so um, I don't know where that came from that that's not something I necessarily trained, but, um, moving on quickly and just, uh, not getting caught up in regret or what could have happened. Like, cause none of it, none of it matters. Right. I think I'm just super logical person. And so moving on is the only option you really have. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say that, but I think for a lot of people, it's really hard to actually do that. Right. And, and, um, you know, it, not let something fester or constantly look back on it. And, uh, you know, I think, I think for a lot of folks, it's really, uh, problematic for them for a long period of time. Um, you know, in, in your book, you talk a lot about the, the mental side of resiliency and, and stress management and training. Um, and, and really, I, I think the utilization of training is one of the best ways to really develop that mental toughness, you know, playing sports, uh, physical training, uh, military training, where you're doing stuff that it's uncomfortable, and maybe you don't think you can do it. And then you find, you know, you're able to and then there's this huge confidence level that comes with that, right? I mean, I, I totally see it firsthand. And I think it's really important for people to experience that, you know, one of the things I thought was really fascinating that you brought up was the idea of um, how powerful the brain is. And we've talked about this on a number of occasions and really looked at, you know, some things that maybe are considered pseudoscience in some ways, you know, whatever it might be. But uh, like, there's a study that you referenced in there about grip uh, training. And maybe you can like touch on that a little bit about like, you know, what they found with people like doing mental exercises versus uh, actual like grip training itself. Yeah. So they actually measured three different, um, essentially muscles in the arm, you know, um, grip strength, uh, bicep strength and stuff. And then they just had people who they had the control people who did nothing. They had people who did mental training only. And then they had people who did physical training plus mental training. And I remember when I was first reading the study, like I kind of already knew what the outcome was going to be, or so I thought, I thought there's going to be like a one to 2% increase in the mental training only people. And like, they just got stronger through some, like through daily life or whatever, uh, but it was pretty significant. It was like 35% increase in strength for people who did middle mental increase or mental training only. And of course the people who did mental plus uh, physical had like a 65%, but you can't negate like actual physical training. And then the people who did nothing had no significant change. And when I read that, I was like, I didn't think stuff like that was actually possible prior yeah. to that. You know, that was one, one of my limiting, limiting beliefs is like, I just, and I say this all the time, like, no, you can't ask anybody. You could be like, Hey, do you, do you think the mind is a powerful thing? Be like, Absolutely. I've seen that on posters since I was in the second grade. Yeah. And it was like, okay, what are you doing on a daily or weekly basis to try and train that mental power that you think 
you believe is, is so, um, you know, powerful and, uh, no one's really doing anything. And that's kind of what I'm trying to make a case for. And part of the book is just, Hey, if you believe visualization is important, affirmations are important and the brain is trainable to do amazing things. Like why aren't you doing it? And the answer is typically it's uncomfortable and it's not uncomfortable just to take the actions to do it. It's uncomfortable amongst your peers. If they know you're doing it, cause they're going to think you're weird. Your parents are going to think you're weird. Yeah. And so it's an uncomfortable, uh, you know, socially too. And so that's why a lot of people don't pursue these things. Yeah. It, it, I think there's a stigma of like this idea of, um, you know, this is like this weird woo woo thing that some guy sitting out in a tent and like, Arizona would be doing or something like that, you know, like, uh, so there's just, I guess, weird, I guess, stereotype of, uh, <laughs> of, of what that might look like. And, but I mean, my daughter's six and she goes to gymnastics. She's on this little gymnastics team and her coach constantly is saying, see it and be it. She's, they're always saying that, see it and be it, you know, and it's like, cause, cause you know, for them, it's a, a lot of it's just confidence and, and, uh, uh, when they're, I mean, it's like many sports, you know, if they're locked in on something and they feel more confident with it, they're going to be a better performer. Right. I mean, I noticed this every time that I play golf, if I have like the, even the littlest negative, uh, thought in my head of like, somebody doesn't feel right. I have to stop and reset myself. Otherwise I always hit a bad shot. You know, it's like, it's really, uh, it's, it's, it is really powerful. And, uh, it, to your point though, people don't really train it. And, you know, I, I think let's give people some low hanging fruit. So you want to improve your mental resiliency and tap into some of that. What are the top kind of three things that somebody could be doing on a daily basis to really improve their ability to be, you know, utilizing their uh, mental bandwidth as well? Yeah. So for mental, if I were to give like three low hanging through fruit, uh, two of them I've already men mentioned. So I would start with uh, some sort of visualization process. Uh, and that could be if you want to start in the easiest place where there's a ton of research, just start visualizing things during workouts. So if you want to visualize, uh, you know, the back squat reps going well or whatever, like that's an easy place to do it. But then if you do want to get a little bit more woo woo, start visualizing the life you want and what you want to achieve. Uh, that's a great place to start with visualization. The second one would be affirmations. Um, and we all know what affirmations are and you can take this however you want, you know, saying the same affirmation over and over again, saying lots of different things uh, that are positive about yourself until eventually you believe it. And it, I really feel like with affirmations for some people, um, it is a fake it till you make it type of situation. Yeah. Like I, I've always had a tight, a ton of confidence. Um, and so not to sound arrogant, but like, I've just had a lot of confidence. So when I say some sort of affirmation that I'm awesome, I think I actually believe it because <laughs> I just have a lot of confidence, but I, I've talked to a lot of other people and I understand that like affirmations seem like a stupid thing because you don't have that confidence in yourself. So you, I feel like you just need to do it until you start to believe it, however small that is. Um, and then lastly, it kind of falls along those same lines would be con just controlling your thoughts and realizing that your thoughts are not who you are because we can get in bad mental states, stress, anxiety, uh, negativity. And we think that those thoughts are, they're like us, like it's happening inside of us. So like, this is who we are. Uh, but thoughts, uh, you know, what I state in the book is thoughts are like air, you know, it comes in, it goes out, you use it however you want, and then you discard it. But that's the same with thoughts. Like a lot of people have had the same thoughts that you're having and you can easily reframe, reposition, change your perception on, you know what, this is just a thought. It's not who I am. It is something I'm thinking, but it is not who I am. And you can discard that thought. And once you realize you can start to do that, these things like negativity and anxiety start to get released little by little, but it does take that, that daily practice, practice over decades to get good at it. Yeah. I like all of those. Um, in particular, you know, the last, well, I mean, we can touch on all of these, but, uh, uh, maybe as a practical example, I can you know, talk to people a little bit about, about what I do. And then we can dive into sort of this idea of controlling your thoughts. But, um, for, for me, I try to control my mornings, uh, you know, pretty well, unless if I have a, if I have 6am patient, my morning is basically, I just wake up and go to the office, uh, you know, after I drink some coffee, like there's not right. a whole lot, there's not a whole lot going, but I still kind of do the same thing. Um, and so what I like to do is I'll wake up and I actually have a, like a vision statement that, that I have that I review every morning. And, yeah. you know, it's a basic framework of like, you know, what I want my life to look like, what things I find important. And, you, you know, really just kind of state this as like third person. It's sort of weird to kind of, you know, do that. There's some pictures in there of places that are important to me and people that are important to me uh, from a, 
uh, gratitude standpoint. And, uh, and then like weekly must do's of the things that I want to do, like exercise five days a week, or um, go on a date night once a month with Ashley, or like these things that are, that are like must do, um, uh, you know, things for the week that right now the date night things not happening much uh, because of what's going on. But Normally, it's it's uh, something that's super important for us to do and make sure we have that that dialed in. And you know, from there, it's just it, I call them keystone beliefs. You call them affirmations, and uh, it's sort of like mantras, right? Of like simple things that I that I resonate with that I that I really um, want to be reminded of every single day. And so I review that while I'm drinking my coffee, and then I'll go work out in the morning. So movement, I think, is a big part of that. But just something as simple as that, where you can start your day on your terms, like, and, and mentally be in the right place. And, and yeah, maybe some of this is sort of fake it till you make it, but if you expose yourself to the same stuff over and over again, a lot of positive, um, uh, positive things and positive reinforcements of the direction you're going or the things that you've, you've been able to do and have more gratitude for that. I just find that my day is just like better. I, I, I have better emotional control. You know, I, I, uh, I have better energy with, with, uh, you know, throughout the day I, I make better decisions. Like, you know, it's just, it's just a big part of that. Do you recommend people start kind of trying to lump this into certain parts of their day, uh, you know, more so than other places? I mean, I, I agree with exactly how you're doing it. <clears throat> and I've been doing it for years is that that morning routine is, is starting with that. And, and mine's changed and evolved over the years, but, and sometimes it's only like 30 seconds of visualization and affirmations, but uh, like I have what I call like a minimum effective dose. So like, I want to do something every morning, but if for some reason I woke up late or something's going on with the kids or, you know, whatever, I'm still going to sit down and do like my five minute version. Preferably I want an hour to do my full morning routine, but you know, I have the minimum effective dose of five minutes, but if you could do that, just don't break, you know, the chain, you know, have that practice, do that, that morning routine every single morning. And I'm saying five minutes here. So could you wake up five minutes earlier to do this? Everyone should be able to achieve that. You don't have to wake up an hour earlier to, to knock out the things I'm saying. And to your point on the visualization, some of the science behind it, because I know some people probably struggled with these ideas like I did on like why I should be doing these things. And um, I think looking into the RAS, the reticular activating system, you know, that we have it just in the, in the human body, in the, in the brain is something that people should pay attention to. And I think that's a big part of why visualization works. And so to explain quickly, you know, when you get a new car and uh, you know, you, you have a, you have a Toyota Tacoma, right? And so yeah. like you, everyone else, you're like, Oh wow, there are a lot of Tacomas out here. It's Everywhere. Like, nope. There's the same amount of Tacomas. Like it has not changed at all. It, it's just, you know, you did not make it popular. It's Toyota has been selling them like hotcakes, you know, forever. And, but you notice it more because you are bringing attention to it. And that's the same with these other things. Like if, um, an example I give in the, in the book, if you're, you know what, I want to get out of debt. <clears throat> and every morning you're looking at your goals of getting out of debt and visualizing yourself getting out of debt. And then you go to your friend's house and he has the total money makeover by Dave, Dave Ramsey about like how to get out of debt to you. You're like, Oh my gosh, like, this is like, this is destiny. It's like, whether or not it's destiny, I don't know, but I do know you've been thinking about that every day for 90 days, and now your brain's like, hey, let me, I see this book on the shelf, um, and the other example I give in the book is, it's the same reason you can, you, you can walk into a crowded restaurant or bar and hear your friends say your name, it's because your, your brain is saying, hey, we know that that no that noise that, that name jared so like yeah. i'm gonna let that in they're not letting any everything else is background background noise to me and it's no different when we visualize things every single day your brain is like okay this is known and it is important i will start like seeing things differently and that's i mean that's really like the mechanism of why it works and why people should be doing it on a daily basis oh, well that just makes so much sense too i think that you did a great job I guess, solidifying why somebody would even want to pay attention to some of this stuff, because yeah, if everybody, you know, you're, uh, let's say your wife is pregnant. Next thing you know, there's like, dude, there's pregnant people everywhere, you know, and it's yeah. like, nope, no, it's there's, the no, there's no more, there's no more <laughs> pregnant women. Like, you know, there's, they're the same amount. There's just, you're just more aware of it. And I, I think that, uh, uh, that that's, that's one thing that, you know, when I learned about that, it just made a lot of sense to me. And, and, uh, and also I think that it, it's the reason why, you know, you, you talk about this idea of controlling your thoughts. I'm uh, pretty protective of like the things that I, I expose myself to because what I really want to be able to do is, you know, and not that I want to um, 
avoid, there's plenty of negative things that I feel like I can help people with in, in, in the world and that I, I want to be able to do those things. Um, but the more I can improve, uh, the more I can improve myself and the more I can focus on, um, uh, you know, development of, of, of myself and helping my family, helping our business so that we can support other nonprofits and things we want to do, uh, the, the more opportunity I have to actually help other people. So I'm very, very protective of how much uh, information I let in that is, um, is really negative in a lot of ways, which is very easy to get wrapped up in much of that um, now uh, because there's just so much access information as well as just just random shit that people can put up and we have no idea where that's coming from, if it's founded in anything and it's, but in a lot of ways it gets clicks or it gets, you know, it, it pays for advertising in other ways. And so I'm just very protective of that because I think you also start to uh, see a lot of what you expose yourself to. So if I'm constantly exposing myself to things that are just like negative and everything is bad. Uh, I miss out on all the opportunities that are there, all the positive things, or, you know, like uh, being, uh, being present enough to like, experience the stuff that's so amazing about our, our world. And, uh, you know, so I, I think some of that is filters, right? So do you, do you recommend that, you know, if people are struggling with this, which, which I think probably is happening more now since, you know, the development of social media than ever, um, what, what are some ways to, to really create some, some filters for themselves to help control their thoughts in a more, uh, favorable way, you know, long-term for them versus getting wrapped up in a lot of the things that, that maybe don't affect them long-term quite as much. Uh, yeah, I think kind of where you're going with that is, you know, you setting up your environment for success. I, and I think that's really important because I remember when I started, uh, you know, my website and everything when it was part-time and I was still in the military. So we're talking like nine or 10 years ago. Uh, I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and it's a good book. But one thing that he mentioned in there was how he doesn't watch the news. Like he, yeah. what well, he just gets an update from a friend like once a week, he'll just be like, Hey, what's going on in the world? You know? And like, cause everyone else watches the news and I implemented that back then. So I haven't really watched the news in like 10 years. You know, like I just don't watch it. I don't at all. And, uh, you know, I think watching it caused a lot of stress and anxiety. Like my dad, uh, he watches the, the news a lot. And he just recently stopped a few months ago. And it's just been huge for him. You know, he's like sick of like all the negativity and conflicting things and all the political stuff. So I think the news... Um, is it's control it. They are controlling your thoughts. Um, if you watch the news, because whatever narrative they have is now your narrative and you start to believe it. Cause they're really good. It doesn't matter if you're watching Fox or CNN, you watch it long enough. You'll be like, Oh, maybe they, there's something to this, you know? And it's like, okay. Um, you're thinking what they want you to think now, you know, and it's not, is this even in line with your goals? Like is what Trump's doing in line with what you're trying to achieve in your life? Like how much attention should you pay to this? And if, politics are your things great then like go start an, an organization and, and do something about it uh but you can really protect yourself from a lot of negativity by just cutting out the news is like step one and then step two you mentioned social media uh i put this thing called the facebook newsfeed eradicator on my browser years ago so i can't see a facebook newsfeed like i can't scroll the facebook newsfeed and check yeah. things out all i get on facebook for are to jump into our pt biz groups my garage gym athlete groups because yep. those are environments i want to be a part of they're you know entrepreneurs or athletes doing things that i'm interested in and i can help with and so that's all i really use social media for and also setting times that you use and don't use social media because uh, if you're if you want a really great recipe for like just basically depression and a very bad mental state watch a lot of news and then spend the rest of your time on social media and you have a great recipe for just a disastrous mindset but if you can control those things a little bit more you're you're in control of it um you'll be on a on a great path to controlling more of your thoughts and and you know being who you want to be ultimately well i think you know the other thing is interesting <clears throat> and i was uh i was having this conversation uh, yesterday with one of my patients that, um, he's a, so he's a, a steady cam operator. So they, they basically wear these, uh, these vests with this, you know, huge, uh, shock on the front with the camera and they do action scenes for a bunch of movies they film around here and stuff. And they're not filming anything. Right. So he, for the last few months, um, he hasn't been working but uh, he came in, uh, he's gotten really into rock climbing over the last few months. It's like, just funny what people are, are into. I was like, dude, I haven't seen anyone. How are things going? He's like, awesome. Things are great. You know, and I, I was like, <laughs> well, what have you been doing? And he goes, he's like, man, I've been reading a lot. Like I'm, I'm playing tennis again. And I was like, I've really gotten into rock climbing. And he had hurt his shoulder. I was bouldering and he like fell uh, and, and uh, hurt his shoulder. And uh, but he's, uh, 
a really interesting guy. He's kind of like a Renaissance man, like lived multiple lives. He got into this sort of later in life. And, and uh, I always enjoy talking to him. Uh, and we were talking about social media and uh, just cause I, I'm not, I use it for um, I use it as a tool for business uh, to, to maintain relationships, to uh, put content out. Um, I can't tell you the last time I put a, so a Facebook post up um, that, that wasn't like a business thing that we were running and maybe an ad to, or, or in, be in a group. But uh, the, the, the issue I think people have to realize with that in particular um, is that whatever your viewpoint is, the, the, the platform is smart and whatever you engage with, they end up sending you more information that is relevant to that. So what ends up happening is your, your window of exposure to not just like what's going on, but like what people's views are narrows dramatically because that's the way that the platform is, is put together. So you end up really just seeing stuff that aligns with whatever your view is versus uh, being challenged on what that might be, if it's truly accurate or if there's other ways to look at it. I think this is where something like travel comes into play and is so beneficial, right? Because you can see people living in other places that solve problems completely differently. You know, like I was shocked when I went down to Australia and I was just like, they're not too much different from us, but like some of the things they do, are just really interesting. And like the, their family dynamics are a good bit different and their lifestyles a good bit different. And, you know, and, and it's, it's just interesting to see how they live their life in comparison to how we, we live our life and like understand things that are maybe pros and cons of, of, uh, of both and never getting exposed to that is, is, uh, I think you become very closed minded. So, you know, for, for you, I think really that exposure of the right things and setting up your, uh, you, you know, the information that you're getting is, is vital because, the people I, I agree with you, the people that are just arguing with everybody on social media about, and I see this in our profession constantly. I know you probably don't see this, but like I had to get off of Twitter because it was nothing but like people arguing each other about, Oh, you should squat to this depth, or this is the cue you should do for this. Or that research article says this thing. And then this says this. And, and it's just a big pissing contest of everybody yelling at each other instead of actually go fucking help some people instead of just yell at each other on uh, on this platform. So, you know, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that for you, you do a really good, a really good job of setting boundaries, you know? So for you with family in particular, well, what does that look like? So boundaries with tech, with social media, all that, like how have you implemented that into your life, you know, in, in terms of an example of like what a day looks like if you shut things down? Yeah. I mean, so just my full day and like how it, uh, it revolves around technology and usage and family time. So I, I pretty much wake up uh, pretty early for my morning routine. I grab my phone and bring it with me, but I typically sleep with my phone on airplane mode. Uh, and so then when I grab my phone in the morning, I don't have a single notification about anything. I use my phone for, you know, whatever a meditation app or a breathing practice app or something like that, um, or listening to an audiobook, which is another thing I'll do in the morning. Uh, so I use my phone there and then, um, you know, my kids wake up really early and so they're with me at that point. And so I, I pretty much hang out with them until it's time for me to go to work and I start work around 7 30 AM. And that's when I like, okay, phone can come on, you know, open up the, the email and all that stuff. And then I'm kind of, I'm pretty much plugged in for the day. Like I'll check social media and everything, except for when I'm doing like really focused work sessions, which I'll do in two to four hour bouts of just like no distractions, uh, you can't communicate with me and I shut it down pretty hard. Um, and then I'll open that back up later in the day to catch up on any communication I may have missed. Uh, and then once the day is over, um, you know, things are a little bit crazy for me right now. Cause I've been homeless for about 30 days, but what I, my normal routine is you stole uh, your house. Is it? <laughs> I'm not actually homeless now. I'm just in between, in between homes, yeah. uh, and, uh, been bouncing around Airbnbs and stuff. But, um, I, I pretty much leave my phone in my office, uh, around, you know, 4.30 is when I normally stop working and typically don't pick it up again until after my kids go to bed, which is, you know, maybe 7, 7.30. And then, you know, again, I'll catch up on communication or whatever. But to be honest, I hate, I just kind of hate my phone. Like, I, and I don't know really? why, like when I first got the iPhone, they had, you know, all iPhones have this feature where if you get a text message and then you don't check it, um, it tells you again, you know, like it, oh, it'll... Really? Yeah, like it'll it'll like say say you have the the ringer on. It'll be like you got a message. If you just completely ignore your phone, and I'm sure you could turn this off, but it'll tell you again in like five minutes. I don't know what the, the timer is, but when they had that feature when I first got my iPhone, I was like, I hate that. Like I hate this thing. So it's never been a a like a building thing or like anxiety producing. It's just like I want to use you when I want to use you. Like you, I own you. And yeah. you're not going to tell me when I, when, when I need it to use it and all this other stuff. 
Uh, so much so that my iPhone's starting to ask me now, it, like it's, it's asked me just this, this past week, it's like, do you even want us to notify you about phone calls or text messages anymore? Like I'm actually getting those quite because I, I only respond to my phone when I want to. I think it's funny they're building in like AI now. It's like, okay, you don't ever answer your phone. So like, do you want us to keep telling you you're getting a phone call? Wow. Um, so anyway, yeah, I just don't check it. And then after that, it's um, lights out pretty early. And that's kind of how, how my life revolves around tech for the most part. It's good structure, man. I mean, I think for a lot of people, they... They, you know, they, there's nothing there. I've learned a lot about how to structure from, from what you do as well and, and be able to uh, disconnect from technology and really can reconnect with people that are in the real world, you know, and, and yeah. be able to, uh, but, but also understand that like we live in a world where it's really a huge part of society now, you know, and uh, it's also a way that people communicate and engage with each, with each other that our kids are going to have to um, navigate, which we all, we all have, you know, young, young kids, so they don't have phones uh, at this point, but uh, even, even our kids, like they have like these little toy ones they think are real. And <laughs> my daughter's like, Oh, I'm texting, texting my little boyfriend, Kellen right now. And I'll grab her phone. Like, it's a real one. I'm like, give me that shit. Don't text <laughs> that guy. And, uh, but, but like eventually we have to deal with that. Right. And, and so I think it's great to have those boundaries and really have like a framework of, of how you, uh, of how you use it. I do want to dive back into some of the stuff on the, on the mental side that you brought up though, because I think you and I both came to this conclusion of like, uh, importance of, uh, of the brain and, um, you know, training that and being protective of that and the benefits that have come from that, um, and success. And like, you're saying like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Is it, is it coincidence your friend has this book or is it, you know, is there, you know, something else going on and people have their theory of like what that may or may not be. And there's not a whole lot of like, I guess, foundation to that. But I can say the people that I know are the most successful. They seem to be, they all seem to really do a good job of controlling their thoughts. And um, I think that self-awareness is the first part of that from what I've seen. And like even knowing that you have a problem with what you're thinking. So if somebody's out there and they're like working, this is a big part of what they want to work on. I want to get better at managing my thoughts and controlling my thoughts. Um, aside from just, hey, let's start being a little more aware of what you're thinking. Like what are some things that they can start to implement um, to really help structure uh, ways of, of negating these negative thoughts that come in and, and deterring them and then really reframing those in a more positive way. Like how, how do you recommend people start working on that? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of what the research says is you have to be aware of the thought because we, a lot of our thoughts are very reactive and, and that's hard to change. That's just, that's being human being. Yeah. But the, the more intentional thoughts you can have the better, but we can't have intentional thoughts all day, just because that'd be like sitting around meditating 24 hours a day, unless you want to be a monk. But yeah, being aware of that and then reframing it in a positive statement. So if you do have any sort of negative self-talk and you catch it or you can be aware of it, uh, that's, you know, the research that has been done and is most successful is if you can take that same statement and, uh, you know, and a lot of, a lot of the done has uh, research has been done in um, fitness. So let's just say you're about to do really heavy back squat and you're like, there's no way I can lift that weight. Yeah. If you ever catch yourself saying something like that, you need to, um, you, you realize it. And now you could do this in a lot of different areas. You could be like, there's no way I could ever make that much money. There's no way my business could be that big. There are a lot of ways we don't believe in ourselves and you have to be aware of it. Once you catch it, you basically just need to say the same thing reversed. Like I absolutely can squat that weight. Like, why should, why can't I make that much money? Like I definitely should make that much money. My business should be that big or can be that big. And so it's really simple. It, the first part is catching it. That's the hardest part is like catching those negative thoughts when they come in, because going back to what I said earlier, we kind of think that we are what we're thinking and it's not necessarily true. It's just, it's a thought. And now you can change that thought. You can catch it, reverse it. And then it's almost like an affirmation at that point. You have to say it to yourself, but the research is pretty clear. Every person who does it has a result, like a, a tangible result um, of improvement. You know, and it's, it's just so interesting because as clinicians and like people, most people listening to this are, you know, in the clinical realm of some sort, or they're a coach or, and like, we have the skill set already. We work, we work on it with other people constantly. You know, like I, I have people that I see on a regular basis that have, you know, chronic injuries. And then they, the way they talk about the body part that they're dealing with, they're like, yeah, I just got this bad back, you know, or I just got this, I just got this bad disc or whatever. They're like, I got this bad knee. And uh, like, dude, do you get, first of all, stop saying that, you know, cause you're just associating yeah. your body part with something bad right? It's just your left knee. It just has some pain right now. Like, but, but you're persisting, you know, or you're, you're, you're constantly 
framing this as something that's negative. And of course your body's going to view it as that. And we know like even long-term chronic lower back issues, we see like two point discrimination issues where like, if I have two, you know, two like pins basically, and I, I poke you in the skin being, you know, starting further away and getting closer and closer, we, I should be able to get really close before you, they feels like one thing is poking you. But with people that have chronic lower back issues, it's almost like the brain has said, you know what? you're a real problem. I'm not going to pay attention to you anymore. And that two point discrimination gets very wide. Uh, they, they don't know it. Like they can't feel it as well because the body's somewhat tired of dealing with it. Right. And, and so we deal with people that are going through this and re-exposure to things. And we have this skill set, but what we don't really realize is that it's happening to us as well. And when we can really reframe those things, it's really important. I, I catch myself doing this all the time with like these limiting beliefs of what's possible or not possible. Uh, I think training is probably the best way to kind of like test that though. It's very repeatable. It's objective. You know, you can see what your numbers are. Um, this could be in sport. This could be in just like strength conditioning, whatever it might be. And endurance sports, it happens all the time, right? It's like, there's no way I can ride that far. There's no way I can run that far. There's no way I can rock with this much weight, whatever. It's like, of course you can't, if you think you can't, right? But then we can have countless examples of people that are same fitness level, same strength, you know, same size that are able to accomplish physical things that other people can't. And a lot of it just has to do with the, the, the mental side. So I think that's a, that's a huge place for people to really start training some of this stuff. Um, but I mean, starting out, I'm assuming when you first started, this wasn't easy, you know, like I know for me, it was really hard. I felt like an idiot too. I was like, come on, Danny, think more positively. You know, I, I felt honestly like an idiot. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny, man, the journey I've been on, um, could be another hour long podcast. Cause I, I think I was in a more screwed up mental state other than having, I mentioned like an overwhelming amount of confidence, like otherwise like limiting beliefs, uh, scarcity mindset, like all these things were, you know, all over the place in, in my brain. So starting is, is very, very difficult. Cause yeah, you don't believe that it's effective. And that's why I point to a lot of like what you're mentioning. Like I point to a lot of, uh, physical studies, training studies, because the results are so tangible and measurable. But anecdotally, I know that in entrepreneurship, when I started and I was only ever focused on the next tactical solution, I was like, yeah, what's the ad campaign or what's the the email copy that's going to make me hit it big. My business stayed pretty small. And then once I started working really hard on this side of stuff, like the mindset, like let me, uh, you know, be more abundance mindset, which an abundance mindset will you know, like I spent a lot of money on courses and masterminds and all this stuff uh, because I had an abundance mindset, scarcity mindset. I would have never done that because I'd be like, well, that money's going to be gone and I'm not going to have any more. And um, so once I got started working on this stuff mentally, like I said, anecdotally, my business took off and not much changed tactically. You know, I didn't I didn't learn like the new the new hot thing that's going to like that, that make my business to take off. It was really uh, a mindset thing, but you can't do a study on that. Right. I can tell you that that's what happened for me, but like you, you'll either be like, yeah, well, that's not science, but it's like, I don't care. My business is successful. You know, I don't, I don't care if it's scientifically proven or not. I started focusing hardcore on mindset when I say hardcore. And I said, you know, mentioned that we could talk about this for another hour. I mean, I'm talking ridiculous meditation sessions, uh, hitting up like crazy people doing all like holotropic breathing and, uh, you know, listening to meditations while I sleep at night, like over and over again, like I've just, I've done basically anything and everything to try and change my mindset. Some of it was useful. Some of it wasn't, some of it was super kooky. And I landed somewhere in the middle of like, what's kooky, like too far for me. And yeah. like, also I, you know, I, cause so I landed in the middle of what works for me. And, um, I feel like everyone has to go on that journey at some, some point. Well, I, I think you bring up a good point of, um, uh, you know, as you, as you work on that, and I think the reason that it affects your business so well, because I do the same thing, is there's this, um, what is it, like confidence without humility is arrogance, right? So like some people, they're way far one direction. Other people, they're, they, they lack any sort of confidence whatsoever. And very few people are in the middle where they're, they're confident, but they are, uh, they're not arrogant and they're, they're very sure of what they're, where they're going to go. And, but that's also, I think it's very obvious to other people, you know, when, I, when, mm -hmm. I mean, with the amount of people that we work with I, and the amount of people that I talk to that we're either ruling in or out as potential good fits for the mastermind, I can, within a couple of minutes of talking to somebody, I can know if they're going to be successful or not, uh, by the way that they talk, by the way that they 
you know, interact. Um, and not to say that they won't, won't be, and you can change these things, but it's very apparent to other people, the way you carry yourself, your tone, you know, the way that, the, the way that you, uh, make decisions, um, or, or handle negativity, like it, and there's something attractive about that to other people, because there's very few people that are actually locked in on what they're doing and they're willing to go there and, and, and they're leaders in a lot of ways. So I think it's very, uh, primitive for us to be attracted to, to that. I mean, I'm sure you've had military leaders that there was just something about them. You're like, dude, I want to follow this person and whatever they say. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was, but it was a mental thing. They weren't the same size. It weren't like, it wasn't because this guy was huge and, you know, physically dominant or whatever it was, or this guy was like super intelligent. It was just something about them. And I think it was this deep internal self-belief of what they're doing is the right thing. And they're moving towards that that you have to cultivate yourself in many ways, um, especially if you want to go into business for yourself. So I don't know if like you found that same conclusion, but I noticed that over and over again with people that I was always just sort of like gravitating towards. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I mean, going into the fighter pilot world, these are guys who've been top 1% of everything they've ever done since middle school, you know, and uh, there are some that are super confident and there are some that are super arrogant, um, but I'm okay with either. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like be, I, I would rather be around, uh, a really confident person or a really arrogant person. Cause arrogance is kind of funny sometimes just to be around, but it's sure. like, um, I would much rather be around those two types of people than the opposite. You know, someone yeah. who lacks completely lacks confidence, doesn't know what the hell they want or they're doing. The conversation is less interesting and you're not going to challenge me, you know? And so I think being around people who are really confident or arrogant, um, it, it's just a, it's a different feeling, you know, and you are immediately aware of it. Um, and I, I want to ask a question to you, cause I ask this question to a lot of people on when the confidence or arrogance, um, topic just comes up. So, cause you have a son, I have two sons. I mean, you have a son and daughter. I have two sons and a daughter. Uh, but this question of if your son had to grow up and be, he's either going to be an arrogant, confident asshole or the opposite of not, not like a humble badass that you know, that's what everyone wants. But I, I, just like a complete, like no self-confidence, doesn't believe in himself, you know, the opposite of a comp, you know, a, an arrogant asshole, which one would you want for your son? That's a good question, man. I can tell you what I'm dealing with right now. I feel like our son, uh, is lacks confidence in a lot of things, you know, and, uh, it, but he's like ultra confident in other things. So it's weird. I think it depends on, I think it depends on their experiences and then the feedback that they get from people. Right. So, um, but if given the choice, I would probably deal with, uh, reining in somebody that's overconfident, uh, because I, I think it's a really difficult thing to build up and, uh, yeah. and it can be very detrimental for people to just have like no confidence in what they're doing. I mean, I, and, and I've seen I, it, man. Like I've, I've seen people who've grown up their whole life like that and they just, they don't do much. You know, and um, because my answer is similar, it's hard to say like, yeah, I'd want my son to be an arrogant asshole, but the the alternative is much worse, uh, because you know it it, that is a a little bit more trainable to try and rein that stuff back in. My only point in asking that question, and everyone else asked that of if you have children, is now you if you answered how Danny and I kind of answered, like you probably now realize the importance of confidence. Is like you need to have that walking to it can go back to that fake it till you make a situation. If you want, if you're not actually confident, you just need to exude that confidence that you are sure of what you're doing. You are aware. And, uh, it, you come across, you know, back to your point, you come across different to other people, more opportunities present themselves. Um, and I know I, I realize this now, but I, I had a lot of encounters with successful entrepreneurs growing up and they, they, they kind of liked me, you know, because I, you know, I probably was like, just a little bit naive and arrogant, um, in high school and stuff, but they, they could see that, you know, I had that confidence. They liked it. They it probably like what you're saying need to be reined in a little bit, but that I, they could tell that they liked it, but then I can see in the same entrepreneur get around somebody who's the opposite. And they're like, you know, not as, yeah. um, in tune with that person. And I think your point is a hundred percent true. Like you, you see that right away, but it's changeable. Like that's all like that can be changed in an instant. If you just wanted to decide, Hey, I'm going to be different. Yeah. This is not something you were born with. Everything is, is trainable. 
I think that's the biggest thing I took away from my time in the military is like everything is trainable and you can absolutely change that if you don't feel like you are the person who can achieve what you're thinking of achieving or doing what you want to do. You absolutely can. You just need to start tricking yourself into believing that one day at a time. Yeah. There's an, there's one of my favorite books is the charisma myth that talks about this idea of, uh, these people that are just naturally charismatic. Right. But, uh, there's definitely people that are out there like that, I think. And they typically, uh, bias towards what you're talking about, sort of like this innate competence, potentially like, you know, towards the arrogant side that they end up dialing in and they, uh, they're naturally competent. And, and a lot of people think it's like, oh, this is like, you have to be good looking. You have to be very articulate. You know, you have to, uh, you know, whatever, be charismatic with your body language and everything. And it's like, well, the science behind that is pretty clear in terms of like literally how you can improve the way you view yourself. I mean, you can literally do that with breathing. You can do that with visualization. You can do that with lots of things. And I, I dove into this book because of teaching uh, for, for Mobility Wad. And like, dude, imagine this there, there was like two or three of us originally starting out, but every course I showed up to people thought Kelly Strat was teaching it and they got me like, that's what they got. And I have to follow that, which is very hard. Probably one of the better presenters I've ever seen ultra charismatic individual, uh, lots of life experience. Like it's a hard, it's hard shoes to fill. So you know, I started trying to learn more about the science of like how to improve public speaking. And a lot of that was this idea of charisma, but they, they bring up like different people, right? So like a Steve Jobs and a Bill Gates both have charisma, but they are very different personality types, very different uh, visually, the way they look physically, uh, like very, very different, yet they command it in different ways. And I think that if anybody that's struggling with that, this is a really great book because there's different sort of buckets that they talk about that you might bias more towards the other. So your char your charisma might be more intelligence-based charisma versus physical charisma, you know, and how you present yourself. Um, and that can be really helpful because you're right. It's a trainable skill. And this idea of like confidence and charisma, uh, it can come from, from that. I mean, like I remember one exercise I would do over and over again before I would teach, I would go to the bathroom and I would literally stand there and I would just imagine that I was like, I would walk out of the bathroom, like a, like a big gorilla walking into a room this is what they talk about. Like, how would a big, how would like a, you know, 800 pound silverback gorilla walk into this space where you're teaching, like walk in that way, not as if you're, you're nervous. If somebody's going to ask you a question that you don't know. And just something as simple as that made such a big difference in me teaching early on to where then it started to kind of become reflexive, how you controlled a room and the way that you carry yourself. And today, I mean, like when we have big groups of people that come in to work with us, no problem, right? Like it's like, a, it's something that I've trained, but I mean, I wanted to throw up all over myself whenever I first <laughs> started teaching, you know, where just 50 people would be there. And, and it's just a trainable skill. So hopefully that gives people a little bit of uh, you know, hope that they can improve some of these things. Cause I've definitely had to do that myself. Um, I do want to give people an opportunity to grab your book though, man. I mean, I, I think it's a great read. You did an awesome job with it. It's your second book you've written, right? Yep. You're yeah, a prolific author now. So look at that. Like after it. Yeah. I just, I wrote one and I'd be honest with you, like, oh man, I, I, I cringe a little bit thinking about writing another one. It's just like such a labor uh, intensive process, but I think you like it. You do a really good job, but you're way better author than I am. So where, where can people um, get a copy of it? Where can they find out more about Killing Comfort? Yeah. So if you go to killingcomfort.com, that'd be the easiest place. You can grab it pretty much anywhere. Um, hardback, paperback on Amazon, Audible, uh, yeah, you can, you can grab it anywhere. And, and, uh, you know, big picture of the book, the, there's, there's three sections. The first part, I walk you through the six traps of, uh, comfort, the different ways you are probably unknowingly being comfortable. Cause as Danny was saying, that first step is awareness. So I bring six areas of your life to attention to see if you are getting comfortable. The next part is, uh, what I call the truth. And it's really about, uh, the aviate, navigate, communicate process, which is just like doing daily actions, setting goals and having that vision that we're talking about. And then lastly, we call it the 86% process, which goes back to the wolf. And that's just how to challenge yourself on a daily basis through hormesis, doing hard things and having a big goal that you're always after or your one thing. So that is the book in a nutshell. Um, and it is going to be a a lot, a lot of the feedback I've gotten is one of two things. Like one is I feel attacked. Like I wrote the book for you to, to attack you on being complacent. Um, didn't do that intentionally. I just wrote it, um, in general terms. Uh, and then the second is it's different than they thought it was going to be because I, you know, most people think of me as a fitness coach. Most of the time they think I'm going to like, there's very little about fitness in the entire, entire book. It's more about like you're saying mindset and, uh, that if you're interested in that stuff, then, then pick it up.
Dude, well said. Yeah, if you if if you want to improve on the mental side, if you want to improve your son, you know, some of the consistency. I think that's the thing that like what I, I appreciate about you, Jared, is like that you can write a book on something like this and it's credible because you actually like do all this stuff, right? There's plenty of people that I know that I think talk about things and they just don't actually um uh, do them themselves. Like they're really quick to be like, Hey, you should do this. But then they, they don't. Um, but that's absolutely not the case with, uh, with you. So practically, I think this is a really, really well-written book and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an easy read. It's something that can really benefit you on the entrepreneur side, on the physical side, like relationships, just emotional control and all of that. Um, so definitely go, go check it out. Um, other than that, man, any, any parting, parting words for everybody for, before we uh, sign off? No, man. I think what you just said though, um, when, I gave Ashley, your wife, a copy. She's like, how long did it take you to write it? And I was like, I, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> and I, it wasn't actually like writing it for 10 years. But what you're saying is like, I don't know if I'll write another book because this one is just so much life experience and everything else, yeah. like trying to put it into a book form. So uh, yeah, I mean, the only parting shots I have for people are um, kill some comfort today. Anything, if you find an activity today that you don't want to do, and you feel like you, you probably should just try and act immediately to do that thing, whether it's doing the dishes, taking out the trash, any small item, and just see how you feel after you kill some comfort. You probably feel pretty, pretty accomplished. Now imagine doing that every day in bigger ways your entire life. Yeah. I read the first chapter of your book and instantly went on a ruck march. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I, like, I got to put some heavy shit on my back and like get uncomfortable. And uh, that's exactly what I did. So uh, anyway, Jared, thanks so much for your time today, man. This was awesome. Um, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and uh, we'll catch you next time. Hey, wait a minute. Just to let you guys know, we are closing in on 200 views on iTunes. That's crazy. Most podcasts hardly get to 100 views, let alone 200. And this is such a niche-specific PT business podcast. That's wild. So let's try to rally the troops and get to 200 reviews for this podcast. The first thing you need to do is you got to sub subscribe to this sucker, whether it's on iTunes or any other platform that you're listening to on, so you know when new episodes are coming out. The next thing, make sure that you leave a review. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I read all of them. It means a lot to me. The next thing, guys, take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it in your stories on Instagram and tag me in it. That's at Danny Matei PT. If you do this, I will repost it. So you'll get a bump. I'll get a bump. We'll share this information with a lot more people because that's the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of a lot more people. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, tag me in it, and I will repost it. So here we go. Let's try to get to 200 reviews for the podcast. Thanks for listening.